0: Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. We're going to be in the book of Matthew tonight. We'll do a little bit of jumping between the uh, New American Standard Bible and the King James Bible. So uh, if the verses look a little different on the screen, that is probably why. Uh, We're going to start in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. We have been in a series called um, Beloved and Well-Pleasing. I got it this time. I blanked out on Sunday. When I was promoting my own class, I blanked out the name of the class. Uh, I looked at somebody or I looked at something and I just wiped out. Uh, that happens sometimes. But beloved and well-pleasing. So w- the premise of the, of the topic is that Jesus was identified by the Father as a beloved and well-pleasing son. And then all of the perspectives that Jesus both exemplified and taught um, was uh, bolstered by the fact that he was a beloved and well-pleasing son. So there's truth. There's things that, that he reveals about uh, the relationship between parents and children, of course, between his Father in heaven and himself. And so we're extrapolating truths when it comes to um, the family, the physical family, and the spiritual family. That's what we're doing. These truths that Jesus communicated through his example and his teaching. So uh, we're in the book of Matthew primarily last week and this week as well. So we're going to start in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 11. Um, The background of this chapter, no, I apologize. I jumped ahead of myself. Uh, We'll read verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Verse 26 says, yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son determines to reveal Him. So Jesus is uh, speaking in verses 25 and 26 about the truths of the kingdom. He's been speaking and teaching on the kingdom of God. And He is speaking about these truths to the Father, and He's thanking His Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because He has brought this truth and this revelation to not the elite, not the super wealthy, not the kings, not the rulers of the earth, the people that you would think God would want to talk to, but to, he describes as infants, to children, to innocent. I love that term, infant, because it implies innocence, it implies um, uh, dependency, right? And so he's communicating the difference. The wise and the intelligent, those people don't need, they're not dependent, right? They, they, They don't need necessarily what the Lord has to say. And so Jesus is thanking his father, that he's revealing this to those that are dependent upon him. And he says that this way was well-pleasing in your sight. And then he makes this statement in verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. All things handed over to me, and that means that everything has been entrusted to him from the Father. Everything what? Everything that is being revealed about the kingdom of God. So everything about the kingdom of God, Everything about dad's house, so to speak, right? That's the kingdom of God uh, when it comes to Jesus. That's his father's house. Everything about that has been entrusted to him. Our homes, our church house, operate the same way, right? What we have is entrusted to the next generation. What we have is entrusted to those that have come from us. All of our knowledge, all of our experience, isn't that what we want? We, at least as, from the male perspective, I'm sure the ladies feel the same way, but I want to pass on everything I know. I'm teaching my daughters everything about cars and work and these kinds of things that I know so that they can benefit from that when they're grown. I'm passing on everything that is part of my house, right? I want to pass that on. So we see that same thing happening when it comes to the truths of the kingdom of God. Therefore, it's up to us to make sure that we are also passing on the truths of the kingdom of God that we have received, the experiences that we've received, the things that we've received. So it is the plan of God. It's the desire of the Lord that the kingdom be propagated through the generations. And Jesus makes this connection here. Again, he has addressed the, the fact that these people are infants. They're dependent. They need him. But he's, he's also uh, talking about these things being handed to him as the son so that he may then hand them to others. And, and this is the setup. This is what we're talking about. When it comes to the spiritual family, It's the same way that it works, or it works the same way. Uh, The spiritual family, God reveals things to us through our experiences, through prayer, through the Word, through the prophetic, through all the different things that he, He does to talk to us. He reveals those things. He entrusts those things to us, those treasures in earthen vessels, right? He takes that treasure of heaven, and He puts it inside you as an earthen vessel. And then the the goal of that is for you to take that that you've been entrusted with and then to reveal Him to other people. And Jesus said that in the the next part of the verse, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. That word know in the Greek, um, it actually means to recognize, to recognize. So He says, no one recognizes the Son except the Father. Now, can you recognize your children in a room full of children? Let's say this. Can you recognize them when their back is turned to you? For the most part, we probably can, can't we? We can recognize them by the way maybe their hair is, maybe, maybe the easy stuff like what they're wearing because we know we dressed them or whatever, but we can recognize them by the back of their head sometimes or by the way they stand or the way they walk. I had a guy years ago, uh, it's been a couple years ago now, I had worked with him on the line at Toyota in the paint shop. I'd worked with him for three years, and then I hadn't seen him for several years, probably five or six years. And then I'm walking down the aisle at Toyota, and then I hear, Matt Hall, Matt Hall. And I turn around, and it's this guy, and he says, I knew it was you by the way you walked. I was like, oh, man, this, uh, hey, how you doing? You know, that was pretty cool. I, I didn't realize people were paying attention to that. But we do that with our kids, don't we? We can recognize. We can pick them out. We're like, okay, yeah, they had the green coat on, but, oh, there they are. You know, that kind of thing. So, so Jesus is making this connection. No one recognizes the son except the father. Why? Because the father sees things that no one else sees in the son. You see things in your children that no one else sees. You know things. You know, for example, if they've got a, a limp because they hurt themselves. You know that because you were present. You saw that. So you know. No one else may know, but you know. And so you can pick that out. There are things about the children that you recognize. And, and he, it also means that he's recognizing himself in the son. Amen? Because how often do our kids do what we do? They walk like we walk, talk like we talk, say what we say. You know, all those things. They have the same mindset, that kind of thing. I love watching the, the, the sense of humor and the personality develop in the kids. You know, our kids are, are spread out, 14, 8, and 1. One and a half. And so we we get to kind of see all these things a little bit apart and see these personalities develop and the the similarities and the differences and all these things happen. And because they're our kids, we recognize things about ourselves. We're like, oh, that's mama. That's what that is right there. That, you know, uh, Barrett, our little boy, he's got a little bit of a temper on him. And he likes to stomp and throw a fit kind of thing. And every time he does it, I'm like, quit acting like your mom, like that. Which she just rolls her eyes at because we both know that was me, actually, that, that he was acting like. But you see what I'm saying? You get the connection? By Jesus saying no one recognizes the son except the father, he's making a very personal relational statement about his relationship with him and his father. He's saying my father sees things in me that he recognizes because it's like him. You guys see things in me that you recognize because they're like him, like my dad. Some of the ways I... I uh, pray, or lift my hands, or preach, or whatever. I've had people say all those things over the years. That's recognizable because of the connection, the heritage. But the relationship is also what is recognizable. It's important for us to understand, people will recognize our relationship with God or not. They'll recognize it. They'll see it. They'll be like, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? (laughs) Why are you acting like that? I didn't know Christians did that. Or vice versa. How are you acting like that? You should be going crazy right now amen so no one recognizes the son except the father nor does anyone know the father or recognize the father except the son I've, I've told the story many times but 10 years ago I was in Missouri and this guy walks up and says are you Tom Hall's boy and I was like yeah I am and he said I knew your dad 25 years ago cool who are you you know I didn't know who the guy was he knew me he recognized that part of my father was revealed to him through me That's scary to think about sometimes. What are we revealing? What's being revealed about us through our kids? What are their teachers being, you know, like what are people hearing and and thinking and being like, oh, no, is that their parents? What is that? But he, he makes the connection here that because of this relationship, this recognition takes place between father and son. And then he says, and anyone to whom the son determines to reveal him. So we do that here by saying things like, pastor says or apostle says or, or whatever, we, we quote, we share these things because that's a recognition. I'm revealing a part of him to whomever I'm talking to when I say those things. We do the same thing with our Father in heaven. We're revealing a part of him to whomever we're talking to when we say the things of the kingdom. Are you with me so far? All right. All right. Tell me if it's not or get that glazed look over your, your face. That will tell me too. So Jesus was saying that all that he was as a man, as the Messiah, as a carpenter, as the son of Mary and Joseph, all these things was because he got it from his father. It had all been given to him, and because his father was his source, he was not just his source of power, but he was his source of identity, okay? It's cool to be empowered, but power without identity can be dangerous. Does that make sense? Power without identity, because identity dictates values. Identity dictates boundaries, ethics. And so you would expect the son of a tyrant to probably be a tyrant, wouldn't you? You would expect that, because that's what he saw, that's what he emulated, that's what he learned. And so likewise, likewise, those things that, uh, those ways that we act and portray and behave reflect our identity so Jesus is saying because of his connection to his father his father knows everything about him knows who he is recognizes him and people will recognize his father because they see Jesus and and that's a huge thing that's a huge connection to make and so that identity is going to dictate the value system that Jesus operates by therefore we look at the way Jesus operates and we can trace that back to the father and say that's how the father does things okay you with me that's how the father does things. So, all that Jesus was was because he got it from his father. His father was his source of identity and empowerment. Empowerment's great, but you've got to have the identity to go with it. Because people in an identity crisis will abuse power or misuse power, we'll say. And that power can be, uh, the power can be authority, but it can also be gifts. People without a good spiritual identity or heritage, are going to misuse the gifts, the power that they've been given because they've never seen a good example. Does that make sense? We see it all the time in Pentecost. All the time in Pentecost. We say here at this church that we're too Pentecostal for the Baptists and too Baptists for the Pentecostals. And it's true. But you know why? Not because we want to be boring or not because we we aren't wild enough. It's because we want to be balanced. We want to toe the line of balance. We want the grace and the mercy and the word of God. We want the gifts and the moving of the spirit and the power of God. But if I can't have the two together, I'm going to hurt somebody. Right? I'm going to hurt somebody. Too much word and no power, I can't help somebody who's bound. If I'm all word and no power. Too much power and no word, I'm going to confuse, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to mess up a lot of people. I might be able to cast out a demon, but I'm going to cause a bigger mess. I might cast out the demon and it come back worse because I don't know that the word says that if they're not ready to believe, then that demon's going to come back seven times stronger. Right? So see, the word and the gifts go together. That's what we are. That's what this house is. That's what it's going to be. That's what, it's going to, that's what it is going to continue to reproduce. We, we want to worship. We want to have the moving of the Spirit of God all the time, but it's going to move within the confines of the Word of God because the Spirit always moves in response to the Word every time. In the beginning, God said, Word, let there be light, and there was light because the power moved according to the Word. That's how it works. The Word always dictates. So that's why in this church... You won't hear, unless it's a guest on occasion, you won't hear us ever say, hey, everybody speak in tongues at the same time. Everybody pray in tongues at the same time. You know why we won't say that? Because we've been taught, our father in the house has taught us that the word says not to do that. Paul said, don't do that. The unbeliever's going to think you're crazy because they don't understand. Paul says it's better to speak 10 words in English than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Paul said that. And we've been taught that, therefore we're going to live according to that value system. And that might not be Pentecostal enough for some folks, it might be too much for others. But that's how we're going to live, because that's what dads dictated. Amen? So you see the connection? Identity and power. That's awesome. I would compare identity to the Word. Power can be Holy Spirit, but identity is Word. Who we are, how we do things, what, what the parameters, what the boundaries are. So... Jesus says his father recognizes him, and he recognizes his father, and anyone who who gets to know one will recognize the other. The second you meet Jesus, you're going to see things about the father. You're going to recognize things. There's going to be things that happen when you pray to the father, and you're going to be like, man, that's just like Jesus, okay? That's how it works. All right. I want to say this as well. When we're doing a good job as parents, our kids will be happy for people to meet us. Does that make sense? On the physical side, on the practical side, you know, we embarrass them sometimes, all that stuff. But when we're good parents, they're like, man, that's my mom, that's my dad. Spiritual side, same thing works. Kids prioritize, and they don't care to let people know their heritage, spiritually, when somebody is being a good spiritual parent. And remember, we believe that this house is going to be a house full of spiritual fathers and mothers raising up spiritual sons and daughters. Those two are not the only ones in the house that's going to be spiritual parents, okay? I'm going to be. You're going to be. We're, we're going to be. Because anything healthy reproduces after its own kind. I was talking with Bishop. I took Bishop Tony shopping Saturday to get the food for the dinner Saturday night that we had with some of the volunteers. And... Uh, I asked him because we talked a lot about cooking and, and stuff and not really not as much about ministry as you would think. But I asked him I said when you go places do you prefer to preach or to cook? What's your what's your favorite thing to do? Because the, where he was previously down in Florida, he had also done a meal down there. And he said he said um, honestly I love to do both. He said I love to do both. He said God made me a cook and a preacher. And you know and then he got into it and he started talking about how when you're a cook, he said he said we get our team together and we Like at their conference, they get the pastors together and they prepare a meal for 2,000 people at their conference. And they all do it together. It's amazing. really. And then they serve everybody. They just come through and they serve these people. And and it's cool. We've seen that. We were there. We helped. Um, And he said, so you get to fellowship while you're preparing the meal. And then when it's time to eat, you get to eat together in fellowship. And then he said, when it's time to clean up, you get to clean up in fellowship. He said, so three times the fellowship, all because of cooking. I was like, man, what a cool perspective. This, this totally fleshy, practical gift, there's, there's not a huge spiritual significance to it, and yet it has facilitated spiritual growth through relationship. And, but the point is, he said that, and then he said, when you are in the kingdom of God and you're producing fruit, he said, you're producing after your own kind. So if you're a cook, you're going to produce more cooks. If you're a pastor, you're going to produce more pastors. If you're a guitarist, you're going to produce more guitarists. You know, all these things he went through. And he talked about it. And it's true. It's so simple, but it's true. We're going to reproduce. We're going to show people what we have learned about the Father. We're going to reproduce that in them. And it's going to be some stuff that we've learned from those over us. And then there's going to be some things that the Father reveals to us through our experiences. And we're going to perpetuate that into the next generation. So, huge deal. Sons prioritize knowing the Father and revealing him to others. Uh, Matthew twelve fifty. King James Version. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. It's fascinating. Whosoever shall do the will of my Father. You cannot get a more relational family verse out of the mouth of Jesus than this, I don't think. Whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, The same, the same one who does the will of the Father in heaven, is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Doing the Father's will, or or the the dirty word for that would be obedience. Obedience. Makes you a son, and it makes you a sibling. Now think about it. Even in the practical, and and we're kind of juxtaposing the two, right? The, The practical, the physical family, and the spiritual family. The children that are doing the best are the ones that obey. They don't have to receive all the discipline all the time, do they? They get to prosper. They get to grow. On top of that, they get your favor. I'm I'm sure we've all had seasons where if you have multiple kids, one is behaving better than the other. So one gets more favor. It's not just that they're not getting as much discipline. It's that they're getting favor, too. And the other, and, and I'm sure you've had this experience where the other recognizes the difference. Well, you just don't like me as much as you like them. Or you just, you think they're your favorite, blah, blah, blah. No, you're being, you're being a, a punk is your problem. And that's why i got to remind you what you can't do. But then when that turns, and sometimes the roles reverse, the, the good one starts getting a little cocky about it and starts doing things they shouldn't do, and the other one finally submits and obeys, and they start getting the favor. So it, 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 it's absolutely true. The family unit works best through obedience. It works best through obedience. So we have to facilitate obedience as parents and grandparents and guardians. We have to facilitate that obedience. We need to make sure that what we expect them to obey us on is doable. Okay? You, you can't ask a two-year-old to sit there and be quiet for two hours. That's not going to work. But you do that, and then they Act like a two-year-old does after about ten minutes, if you're lucky, and then you get mad. Well, why can't you do that? Because they're two. That's why they can't do that. So you gotta, you got to wait till they're on the level. you, you got to adjust your expectations to where they're at. Does that make sense? Aren't, aren't you glad we have a Father in heaven who does that for us? How many times, especially if you journey with the Lord a while, you look back at your spiritual journey and you're like, man... God was so gracious and so good because I was acting a fool. And yet he did not wallop me like I deserved to be walloped. He, he, he disciplined me in the way I needed and what was best for me, not necessarily what I deserved. Amen? Because <laughs> Amen? sometimes we deserve uh, a lot worse than what we get. But obedience is the key. That's what makes you a son and a sibling. That's what facilitates relationship in a family is obedience. It's important. That's what facilitates relationship in a church is obedience. In the body of Christ is obedience. Now, that doesn't mean, obviously, if somebody tells you to do something that's sinful, you're not obligated to do that, okay? That's easy. If, if a pastor, I don't care if they're a pastor or the pope, I don't care who they are, if they tell you to do something against the Word of God, you don't have to do it. Easy enough, right? Make sure you know the Word so you know, because lots of folks get intimidated by somebody's title or position or presentation, and they just assume that, well, they know more than I do, so that must be what it says, and that's how cults get formed, that's how all kinds of craziness happens in the church, so we got to make sure we know what we're talking about, but obedience is important. If God directs the leader of the house, hey, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing. If God, if God, If God has revealed that, and they have done the time and the work to determine that it was God who revealed that, then we need to go with it. Because we don't occupy that seat, right? I don't occupy that seat. And as long as it's not against the word of God or the expressed will of God, then we're okay. We can do that. And if it gets messed up or it doesn't work out quite right or somebody fails, that's all right. That's not on us. Amen? That's not on us. So obedience is powerful. It goes a long way in promoting the upbuilding of the family. The same as my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says there's all kinds of room, but obedience is the way in. There's all kinds of room in the family of God but obedience is the way in. I was watching a a, a video. I sent it to Brandon. Brandon's not here tonight cuz his, his little boy's sick. But I sent it to Brandon earlier. I saw it on Instagram. And this there's this uh podcaster, this pastor who's doing some awesome stuff right now. And I was watching it and and he said, you know, if you're if you're uh you're messed up, you're you're bound up, you're gay, you're all these different things, you're, you know, you're depressed, all these different things. He said, we got good news. Jesus loves you and he wants a relationship with you. That's the good news. He says, but if you accept the good news, then I've got bad news for you, like that. And he says, the bad news is that if you accept the good news that Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you, the bad news is that now you've got to die to him like he died for you. And I was like, whoa, and it just, it just wrecked me because that's obedience, That's obedience, dying to him the way that he died for me, wholeheartedly, all in. And it's just this beautiful picture of what obedience does. And and think about that. What did Christ's obedience do? It opened up the family of God to all of us. We had no hope. We had no way in. There was nothing we could do. We weren't good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, talented enough to be in the family of God. So somebody, the son, had to come along and open that up and say, hey, here's what can happen if you just believe and obey. So that's the, that's the good news of the gospel. So obedience is what enlarges the family. Disobedience, therefore, divides the family. Amen? It divides the family, the, the physical family and the spiritual family. If if you fail in the spiritual family and you really are a son or a daughter as you claim to be then you're going to receive discipline from the father and mother in your life. You're going to. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how bad it is. You're going to run home to mom and dad. If you run from mom and dad, you were they were never your mom and dad. Amen. Quiet. Everybody's chewing on that one. If you mess up, you run home to the place where you know you might get a talking to, you might get a whipping, but it's still home. That's where your family is. So you run to, not from. If you've been disobedient, you run home, and you make, uh, you make the case for repentance. You apologize, you change, you do whatever, you do whatever mom and dad say. That's what you do, right? If you don't do that, You were never a son. My my dad has said for 25 years, 30 years, you never know you're a son until it's time to be corrected. Only sons receive correction. And make no mistake, I've received the correction. I know. I know what correction looks like and feels like. I know what correction's like. But I'm a son. And on my worst days, I run to them because they're my parents. They're also my spiritual parents. Okay. And this house is going to be full of people who need spiritual parents that they can run to. Will we be those kind of people that they can run to? I hope so. I hope that God knits our heart together with somebody when they come in here and they get so radically saved in the next few years when God does all this work that he's talking to us about, telling us about. They get so radically saved that our hearts just connect and we just know, man, whatever comes. Whatever comes. If you'll, come, if you'll come running, I'll be there. Amen? I'll be there. And, and, and what, what a beautiful picture. What a great thing to think about having in the kingdom of God in our city a house full of people who are like, Hey, if you mess up, come running, man. Come back. Come running. If you run from me, that's not on me. That's on you. Amen? We all know good, good people who have terrible kids. Right? Let's say they raise three or four kids, and one of them is a hellion. Does that mean that those people were suddenly bad parents? It doesn't mean that. It means somebody decided to stop being a good kid, and so they take off. So, obedience is what grows the family. Whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. That's awesome. This verse tells us there is plenty of room in God's family. This verse tells us how to get in and stay in God's family, and that's through obedience, doing the will of the Father. And just a side note, if you want to know God's will, read God's word, because God's word leads to God's ways, and God's ways lead to God's will every single time. Well, how do I know the will of God? Read his book. Do what it says. If you do what it says, you will find yourself right in the middle of God's will every time. Most people don't get into God's will because they don't know his word and they don't know how to do his ways. All right? So, obedience is what makes you a son or a daughter. Matthew 13, 43, King James. Matthew 13, 43 says, Then then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun. In the kingdom of their father. Go back and read the previous stuff in that chapter. It's some of the best parables that Jesus ever tells. It's a great chapter. The righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Sons shine the most in their father's kingdom. Another word or another phrase for kingdom would be their father's realm of influence. Now, our our father owns everything, so that's cool. But our Father doesn't allow us to shine everywhere, does He? Does He? Think about it. Does He allow us to go shine in a bar? I mean, maybe. You might be be a pretty awesome Christian. Maybe you can shine there. But five nights a week, are you going to shine in the bar? You're going to be acting like the bar, smelling like the bar, doing what the bar does. So there are places within God's kingdom that we shine. Roles. Realms, areas of influence. We're going to shine the most where our Father wants us. That's where we're going to shine. Not where we want to be. Amen? Not where we want to shine where He wants us to shine. This church will not shine the most if it's the way I want it to shine. It's got to be the way God wants it to shine. We've got to be doing it the way God says to do it. And if He, if he has told us how to do it and we do it, then we can expect that we will shine. We can expect that we will be that city on a hill that can't be hid, that lamp on the lampstand that lights the room for everyone in the darkness. We can expect that. That's what we want to be. When Jesus said that in Matthew 6, he, he wasn't, or 5 or 6, he wasn't saying that so that we would be afraid to be the lamp on the lampstand, that you don't put the bushel over. It. No, he's saying that like, hey, guys, I've made you to shine. If you're in the kingdom, you're here to shine. But you're going to shine the most in the, in the Father's kingdom, in your Father's kingdom, in your Father's realm of influence. Conversely, you're not going to shine as much outside of his realm of influence. Now, of course, in the kingdom of heaven, if you get outside the kingdom of heaven, you're not going to shine like the kingdom of heaven. That's, that should be obvious, okay? Okay. But even within the kingdom, where God's put you and planted you and made you to put down roots, the courtyard that he's put you in to put down roots, the people he's put over your life that are enabling your growth and your development, those roots to go down deep, you're going to shine the most in connection to that. God didn't call us all to get up and be transplants, wandering around, planting ourselves wherever we want. Do you know how high the percentage is when it comes to church growth that is transfer growth? most of it, over 50% of, of church growth, air quotes for the recording, is actually people going from one church to another church. It's not that the kingdom is actually growing. It's just shuffling. Isn't that interesting? It's sad, but it's true. That's true. That's right. How uh, Sherry said children can't family hop how healthy is it for a relationship for for a young person if their relationships parental relationships are changing all the time you can't do that it's not good i've known people i i had kids in my youth group who's come through who every two or three years they'd cycle to a new a new family figure in their life cuz their their family wasn't great and i understand that but every two or three years they they'd connect with somebody and they would just ride it out i mean they were at their family functions they were everywhere all the time with them and then all of a sudden they find somebody else they like more and they hop over and they never really grew past it they never grew past it and to this day there's not any measurable fruit there in those lives and they're they're long past us but but shining in in the father's kingdom and the father's realm of influence is hugely important and so just as our children could not have a healthy uh, track of growth, if they were hopping from home to home to home to home, we can't do the same thing in the kingdom of God and expect to grow, can we? How are we supposed to grow a great work in one place if everybody transfers every few years? How's God supposed to do anything? That's right, confusion. But chaos. Like, man, I thought we had connection here. And now they're, they went down the road because, I don't know, make up a reason. That's usually what they do. But you see what I'm saying? The kingdom of their father. What if God called you to, to sit here and do what God's called you to do here for the remainder of your life? If God has done that, would you do it? Why is it that only the pastors are the ones who are called to a place for their life? And most pastors actually aren't. Most pastors are career guys. They're looking for the next promotion, the next bigger church or whatever, or higher check. And I say that as one who knows people who do that. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm telling you facts. But we, we expect that the minister, well, of course the minister's all in. He's, he's the guy called to be here. You're called to be here. <laughs> Why are we the only ones called to be here? What about you? People listening on the podcast in the future, what about you? You're called to be here. If you're called to be here, you're going to shine the most in the kingdom of your father, the kingdom you've been called to. You've grown the most. If you grow there, that's the place you should be. Because you're growing there. If you've grown over the last 10 years, what do you think will happen over the next 10 years? What has led you to believe that it would stop for any length of time? The only thing that's going to stop or stunt or delay your growth is if you pick up and put roots down somewhere else where you're not called to be. I've said it for years. You can't plant a palm tree in the tundra of Alaska and expect it to thrive. It might survive and endure for a while, but it's not going to endure forever, and it's certainly not going to thrive. You were made for certain soil. You were made for certain soil. And the body of Christ in the earth, in this city, would function so much better if people would stay planted where they're supposed to be planted. And I'm using this analogy based on Psalm 92. Those that are planted in the courts of their God are the ones that flourish. It's a rough paraphrase, but that's what it's saying in Psalm 92. So, when God plants us, when God brings children into our spiritual life, we should expect to have to nurture them as long as we know them. I'm 37 years old, and I still get food from my mom's house. I have my own food, I have my own money. I had food in the fridge, and I took her food over my food. I still receive nourishment from my parents, and I don't even live there anymore. But we're still connected. The relationship is still there. I want to shine within their influence. And so I get nourishment from that. And as long as I keep getting nourished, as long as I grow, I need to stay there. And I don't just grow in the, in the, in the physical stuff, but I grow relationally. I grow mentally. I grow in all these different ways. Amen. I like a healthy family does. So that was a bit of a soapbox. Sorry. Sons shine the most in their father's kingdom or realm of influence. Conversely, they don't shine as much outside of their father's realm of influence. They're good people. Transplant, transfer, jump from spot to spot. And they, they might do great things, but they'll never do the things they could have done had they stayed where they ought to stay, under the people they ought to stay under, under the mom and dad. They might grow, but they might not grow as much. Amen? Anybody been in the church long enough to know that's a fact? Seen it? All right, all right, just so I don't want anybody sitting here thinking, well, he's being judgy. No, I'm telling you the truth. It's the truth. All right, Matthew 15, verse 4. I'm going to read this one, Steve, out of King James and in ASB. For God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother. Jesus says this. Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Whoa. Jesus said that. Not me. Jesus said it. Remember, Jesus had a stepdad, okay? Jesus had a stepdad that was not his real dad, and yet he, he speaks of honoring. And remember, he was a beloved and well-pleasing son, so he must have honored Joseph as his father in the earth. In the NASB, NASB it says, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and the one who speaks evil of father or mother, or curse is to be put to death. That word honor in the Greek, it means a prize. It means to prize, to prize. Honor your father and mother. Hopefully, as as parents or grandparents, guardians, whatever we are in the lives of our children, our generations, hopefully we're we're, we're prize worthy. Amen? We want to be that, don't we? We want to be honorable. We want them to want to honor us. That's great. But in the spiritual as well, in the kingdom of God. Honor your father and mother. Honor those people in your life that have made a huge difference. Prize them. It it means to prize. It means to fix a value upon. To fix a value. What does that mean? That means the value is not dictated by the market. It's dictated by what I assign it. Okay? Now think about this in terms of spiritual heritage here. I honor them. I value them. That value is set, it's fixed. Well, that's your parents. Of course, you're going to value them. They're my parents. Are you kidding? If there's anybody I wouldn't, right? Who do you want to not honor most in your life sometimes as a stupid kid? It's your parents sometimes. But here we have this situation the value's fixed. Therefore, it does not matter what anybody says, the value's fixed. It doesn't matter who stays or goes. The value is fixed. Okay? It doesn't matter how big or good I get. The value is fixed. I'll never be greater because I'm not trying to be. The value is fixed. That's what's healthy. Jesus himself said, why are you calling me good? There's no one good but God. But we know Jesus was good. He was great, in fact. He did amazing, unbelievable, impossible things for us. And yet in his own eyes, he was never as good as his father, and he had no desire to be. Wow. I think that's one of the most miraculous things about the Godhead, the Trinity, is that they're all equal in substance and in power and eternality. You know, they they all live forever. They're they're all as much God as the other, and yet they never want to try to overthrow each other. They live in eternal community, eternal family. Submitting, the father and then the son submitting to the father, the spirit submitting to the son and the father. Perfect submission, perfect harmony. That's a family we could live after, isn't it? And yet here, God says, honor your father and mother. Fix a value on them. Nothing can change their value. Nothing they can do can change their value. Nothing anyone else can do can change their value. Their value. It's not dictated by the market. And by that, I mean how big the church is or how big the ministry is or who likes them or who doesn't. Right? It's fixed. Nothing's changing it. And on top of that, you go after them, you go after me. Amen? Speaks evil of. The one who speaks evil of or curses, speaks evil in the Greek, is to revile, to curse, or to speak evil of. Sons, honor, and prize. Sons and daughters, honor, prize. They value first, they value genuinely. Sons who curse, daughters who curse are cut out of the inheritance. Amen? Here's the benefit of honor. After a lifetime of honor, there's an inheritance. But you dishonor, guess who gets cut out? The ones given the inheritance? Nope, you. Because you're the one who cursed. You're the one who dishonored. So, As spiritual sons and daughters, we have everything to gain and everything to lose, don't we? All through whether or not we honor, whether or not we fix a value upon those people that God has put in our life. We fix a value. And here's what I see most often in the body of Christ. Is that oftentimes those spiritual fathers and mothers fix a value on the children, the spiritual children. But the children don't reciprocate the value. Listen. That's rampant in the body of Christ. Rampant. It's rampant in this area, in this town. Rampant. So it's a two-way street. What, What honors them is not me telling them that I love them or that I want to be like them or carry their name. That doesn't honor them. What honors them is the value I put on them. And then that value dictates everything else. So if they mean what they mean to me, if I meant what I said when I said it, and it doesn't matter what I do, they do, anybody else does. Hell or high water, it doesn't matter. The value's fixed. And then that va- the beauty of it is that the value is often reciprocated. That's how family works. When your kids love on you, you they walk up and they hug you. You don't just stand there like a board. You automa- and if they're little bitty, you get down where they get down, where they're at. That reciprocation, that honor is powerful. And it's missing in the body of Christ. It's not going to be forever. It's not going to be in this house. Amen? We're going to perpetuate this idea of honor, of, of fixing a value on each other. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to value everybody the same way I value them. Okay? That's, that's just a fact. But there are key people in my life that I'm going to value, and I'm going to fix that. And nothing's going to change it. I don't care if you like them. Deal with it. You can go. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I don't mean that as smart elk as that sounded. I apologize. But I'm saying, you know how it is. Somebody comes against your 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 brother, your sister, your family, throw them up or get out, man. Let's go. That, that's that's kind of how it is. Amen? I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want anybody to lose their ministry. I don't want any of that. But let's, let's show honor where it's due. Let's fix a value on people. And if you don't want to value somebody that's, that I value, that's fine. You don't have to. You value those people in your life that need that value, that hold that place in your life. But fix it. Fix it. And don't let anything change it. All right? Is this okay? All right? All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, I'm going to end on a controversial one, as if that one wasn't controversial enough. Matthew 15, verses 5 and 6. Uh, Steve, let's do NASB on this one. Sorry. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father and mother. And by this, you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So here's how this is controversial. He's talking to the Pharisees here. He's saying, you guys have set up a system where people are giving to you instead of taking care of their parents. And he says that invalidates the word of God because of your tradition. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because even in modern Christianity, the mindset is give and it'll be given. Give and it'll be given. And yet here we have clear instruction from the mouth of Christ to take care of our own and then worry about the minister on TV or whoever or even the local house take care. People oftentimes think that as Christians, we're obligated to every poor person. We're obligated to the household of faith first. okay. But Paul said that we're, also, we're obligated to take care of the widows in our family before the church is. Did you know Paul said that? He said that. Most people don't know he said that. So this this idea of honor is is also what it comes down to your family, how you operate in your family, how you take care of those in need in your family. Take care of your family, and God will honor that as if you're giving to his house. That's okay. Now, if you turn that into a reason to be greedy and not give to his house, you've got a problem. Right? You with me? Everybody understand? If you have enough to take care and to give, then you ought to do both. You ought to do both but you should not neglect your family for the building fund. Okay, you shouldn't do that. We'll never ask you to do that here. Don't do that. But if God has enabled you to take care of your family and you've got enough to take care of the house too or to throw in the whatever fund, do it and see that God will bless it. But we don't want to invalidate the word of God in our families, in our lives because we're trying to be spiritual and believe in faith. Take care, if, if, if you're taking care of your parents, take care of your parents. Take care of your family and see what God will do with it, amen? Isn't that, isn't that just too practical? Isn't that just awesome to know that, oh my gosh, I don't have to live under this pressure where I've got to give $10,000 to the fund and then somehow make ends meet at home. Now, I have found in my own experience that when I'm running tight and I continue to give to the Lord, He makes up the difference. I have found that. So that's a fair truth. But I'm going to take care of my family, and then I'll take care of the house of the Lord. And since Jesus, I mean, do you read this any other way? Can you interpret this any other way? Isaiah 56 says the same thing. So granted, if if I'm in the wrong light on this, give me grace. But this is how this is interpreted, in my opinion. So that's what we're going to go with. So let's see what God does. Isn't that awesome? All right, that was a good one to end on, wasn't it? Stand up. I tell you what, it helps knowing that Jesus said these things, doesn't it? Because then that kind of eliminates some of the opinion out of it. Because it's like, oh, man, I don't really love that, but I can't really do anything about it because I didn't come up with it. (laughs) Jesus said that. And since Jesus said it, I can't really argue with it, can I? I can argue, but ultimately, he's the one that gets to win out, doesn't he? So I believe, again, God is, is bringing this truth, this revelation. He's revealing himself to us so that we can understand when when he brings people in, what we're here to do. If you're a seasoned believer in this house and God brings in a new believer, it, it should be within your, your realm to help. Not just to introduce yourself, but to say, hey, if you ever need anything, and I mean anything, let, let me, come to me, come to me. We'll see what God will do, okay? And sometimes it might be something you don't fully understand. You might need help on it, whatever. That's fine. That's what family's for. Hey, Amen, that's what family's for. But we need, to, we need to change our mindset. We are not just here to accumulate knowledge and get fat in our spirit and sit on this seat and ride it to heaven. That is not what we're here to do. We're also not here to sit and wait for God to drop a healing out of heaven for our pastor. We're not here to do that. We're here to be on mission. Amen? God will heal. God's going to take care of him. We're not worried about that. But how foolish to allow that thing to dictate anymore what God can do in this place. Let's let God be God. And if He's God for the unsaved and the bound and the broken, He can be God for the one who needs a healing too. And let's see Him do it all. Amen? That's what we're looking for. That's the mindset that God is shifting in the leadership of this house. That's where He's taking us in this next year. Be ready. Be ready. This is where we're going. And we want to go. Do you want to go? I want to get out of this funk that we've been in. I want to get out of that. I'm going to get back on mission. And whatever God does, I'm in. And if he heals them in the process, great. The children of Israel wandered the wilderness for 40 years, and their shoes and their clothes never gave out. God can sustain people through a rough time. He's sustained us, but there's eventually a time to cross over into the promise. Time to move ahead. Amen? And so in preparing that, he's preparing our hearts and our minds to receive those folks that he's going to bring into this place because he is going to bring them because we're going to make room for them. Amen? We're going to make room in our worship, in our service. We're going to make room for people who need to know him, people who are far from God. I think it's—I don't know if it's Giglio or Spurgeon. It was somebody that said, we're going to plunder hell to populate heaven, right? That's what we're going to do. That's what we're called to do. And in the process, we'll plant churches, and we'll do all that other stuff too. It's a full thing that God wants to do. We're going to do it. But you folks, all of us, we're going to be among those that father and mother, people that come in who don't know how to live holy and right, and we're going to show them because we know how. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word. We're grateful for all that you're doing and speaking in this house. God, we are honored that your hands are still upon us, and we recognize it, God, that that even through some of the most intense seasons of our life that this has been, God, your hands have never left. Your grip has never loosened, and we thank you for that, Lord. And we ask you just to use this word to to seed the atmosphere of this house, God, over the next weeks and months, Lord, as you prepare your people, as you prepare this barn for the harvest. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. God, move in every family, move in every marriage, restore what is broken or lost, God. Heal what is wounded and, and hurting, Lord. Just do what you do best. Heal bodies, yes, but, God, heal relationships heal marriages, bring prodigals home, bring kids home, not just to the church, but to mom and dad too, in Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you for it, Lord. We believe we're going to see it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.